Jake, have you ever um, dealt with much exposure in your life? Like my personal secrets getting out? I didn't say that, but wow, that's where you went, huh? What, what were you thinking? <laughs> I don't know. I was just being a jerk. Because, yeah, did. I can confess some stuff if you want me to. That's fine. <laughs> I actually uh, took a photography class in high school, <laughs> um, and we had, like, a dark room in mm-hmm. in the high school. And so you'd go into the dark room, and you had to, like, roll up your film. But I was really bad at that. It's just, like, this manual dexterity thing, and I, I never really got the hang of it. So... You'd always go with one other student. So me and another student would go into a dark room and I'd go, hey, I need you to do this for me. (laughs) (laughs) And they would. And they would. You would go in there to cheat, essentially. Like, you couldn't do it physically, so they had to for you. Right. Yeah. My whole thing is I can't leave any skin exposed when I go outside or else I get sunburned instantly. So yeah, that's that's my relationship with exposure is I'm just like long sleeves. Well, you have a severe garlic allergy, too, right? <laughs> and don't get me started on mirrors. <laughs> crucifixes? Ugh, those things are the worst. You ever, like, you know, you're like, oh, we're all going to hang out, and Kyle's just kind of, like, standing out front, and he's like, are you going to invite me in? We're like, I, I, I told you we're all hanging out, you know? Yeah, every time. Yeah. It's like, you have to specifically invite me, though. In. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, you go in to check on him when he's in the guest room, and he's just hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just got this new bed, too, that's pretty sweet. It was like one of those you can, like, it's like a bed in a box. Um, <laughs> you mean a bed is a box? It, the bed is a box, yeah. <laughs> the bed well, is that a is box. cool. That's cool. Well, from one thing trying to stay hidden in the shadows to another, this episode we're talking about Root News! That was a trick. You switched the plot on me right wow. there. That's right. That was a trick. That was really clever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you've rearranged our entire document. Oh, That's I right. know what you did there. You used trick to mm-hmm. swap out segues. That was that was very interesting. Okay. Thank very you. good. Thank There'll you. be another inappropriate segue later on that should have gone here. <laughs> and it's a bomb! All right. <laughs> All right, uh, not much to talk about on this week's Root News. Root News! Uh, But we got a big announcement from SP Shaman, and that is that Root Jam is back. Root Jam 2022, this is the fan faction competition. Kyle and I entered it last year. It was a lot of fun. We were snubbed. Um, Completely snubbed. Oh, wow. We should have won, but, you know. Are you guys going to make a bigger dent this year? I don't know. I don't feel like I have the time, but oh, <laughs> you're you were discouraged after your first year snubbing. I will say, Kyle and I worked so hard on the faction. We like uh-huh. spent like I don't know thirty six hours almost yeah. straight on it, and we like play tested it and stuff. And I know that this year the competition is going to uh, be like a week long, so that people can play test it and stuff like that. It was just like a couple. It was like a weekend before. Right? Yeah, 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 it was like a forty eight hour kind of like challenge last time. This time they're giving a little more time and space for creators to develop their faction. In fact, I think it's going to be two full weeks to not only create and play test, but to create a print and play kit for each faction, which is super cool. That is cool. There's going to be all kinds of different resources and links and stuff over on the Woodland Warriors Discord, uh, provided by SP Shaman. And uh, just like last year, proceeds from Root Jam are going to charity, uh, specifically Doctors Without Borders. And uh, just want to say that this is always like such a fun way to like capture the energy and spirit of the community and... You know, get that fun stuff. You know, some people are into fan fiction. We're into fan factions here. On, uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Though my fan faction is all about fan fiction. I'm like, what if an Eerie and a Marquis kissed? <laughs> the weasel poets who yeah. are always just writing in their diaries about the celebrities they'd marry. Um, you can, like, ship two other factions. <laughs> two other factions get embroiled in just, like, a lot of drama for a full turn. So they can, oh, like, yeah. lose a turn. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Um also the only other news we have is you feel that? It's a little quiet. Almost too quiet. That's right. Oh, do you see the waves? They're going out out to shore. Something's about to happen. That's right. The Root Marauder expansion <laughs> is almost here oh my god we can't keep making this a news 
update. I'm, it's I'm a weekly podcast. Too. I'm excited too. <laughs> it just you're freaking me out with this like storm metaphor because they're literally on boats right now. <laughs> <laughs> Have you gotten it yet? You you backed it, didn't you? Yeah, I backed it. Kyle it? didn't. He doesn't have the base game. <laughs> oh, I backed Marauder expansion. <laughs> Did I, you really? I cracked and I backed. Wait, you cracked and backed the Marauder expansion? I sure did. Yeah, I really wanted to get a hold of the um, the higher legs. <laughs> Those meeples For look so delicious. What do you mean? You have no game board to play them with. I know, but I can play them in my head. It's fine. <laughs> Guile is going the decorations. to have the Marauders expansion and the Vagabond pack. I believe oh, that is all the root content you will own. That's right. Um, Sam, your wife gave me a pack of Vagabond meeples. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's currently the only physical merchandise of uh, the root board game that I own. <laughs> well, you're getting it soon, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Very soon, Kyle. Very soon, yeah. One day, I hope I get a map. Nope, <laughs> nope. You got to earn that. All right. Um, okay. Also, there's no tournament update because uh, the weekend before this recording uh, was the weekend the winter tournament was off. So it's a pretty light day on the news front. Oh, it's just an off weekend. Yeah, yeah, Garrick, I think, was traveling. Yeah. Oh, Apparently, wait, he has why? a life. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah, should he yeah, He should have stayed home and done the tournament, though, right? Is he allowed to not stream? Is that... Mm. <laughs> so, is this tournament even, like, real anymore? <laughs> oh, it's real. Oh, uh, this is not Root News, but Elden Ring was released. This is... Uh, <laughs> wait, from... Kyle, you're talking about Elden Ring? From software. I saw Kyle was playing it on my friends list today i was like kyle's cracking elden ring on his laptop wait kyle's playing elden ring guys it's so fun <laughs> no my whole life is being infiltrated by elden ring i refuse to let this podcast be this is a real podcast okay so if you're going for like a dex build <laughs> uh but we definitely should talk about um, I could just title this episode "How Cool Is Elden Ring?" I mean, we could just do that. <laughs> I was just gonna say because the like topic of this particular episode could be tackled like pretty swiftly. It feels like it could maybe squeeze about twenty to thirty-five minutes of Elden Ring <laughs> content right. in at the end here. I will say, yeah, that's true. Playing against the Corvid Conspiracy is so easy, you will have time to play Elden Ring. And yeah, I understand. Yeah, like bats in Elden Ring that you have to fight, like, real early on. You can, you can kill them in, like, three hits. You can just give them an item and they have to go away. <laughs> uh, of course you love those bats, you vampire. Okay, guys, let's get into this proper. The Corvid Conspiracy, all right? They are the most transparent, stoppable... And underpowered faction in root. But Sam, transparent, they're they're the secret keepers. They have face down information on the board. Yeah, but the part that matters to the rest of us, how many points that face down information will score, <laughs> uh, that's pretty transparent. Sure. That's pretty telegraphed to the rest of the table. Yeah. And I know. Okay, I can hear your little tippy typers typing right now. I lost to the Crows in a tournament game. Okay? <laughs> We're all thinking it, Sam. I get it. Okay? <laughs> I get it. But that doesn't you mean... You had to fight to even be on this episode of Woodland War Machine. <laughs> Kyle was like, we can't let him on. I said, Kyle, we got to. He deserves at least a chance to talk about it. We're okay. going to get the other Sam uh, from Lord of the Board on here. But <laughs> <laughs> I am very replaceable, even by name. It's so easy to just... <laughs> so easy to find another Sam. All right. The thing is, though, you got to pick you got to pick a lane. OK, it's either a big blunder that I lost to the crows or I made a mistake and they're easily <laughs> stoppable. OK, like you got to pick a lane. OK, is this is this episode versus our own self-doubt? This is, <laughs> this is Sam versus the rest of you. No, hold on. I don't think everybody immediately started typing. But Sam, you lost to the crows. <laughs> I think people know Jake people were talking about this on the discord before we sure. recorded this episode for, for sure and also I think we're as we're gonna not to spoil this anything but we're gonna talk about how easy the crows are to defeat today but a good crows player can capitalize on certain environments too and we will have to crack that that open a little bit well Absolutely. you know why I lost to the crows I think because you were in one of those environments because I thought you know what the crows are really easy to stop we'll get them later yeah. and I didn't count okay here we go <laughs> However, that all being said, 
The Corvids can still pack a punch with their bombs, snares, and sometimes even sneak behind back lines to take out some undefended mm, cardboard. All right. So how do we come out the victor in a game with the Corvid conspiracy? Well, between this guide and that count from Sesame Street, you should be capable of pulling out the W. <laughs> All right. And uh, so just a, a quick update from the wor wider world of Root. Sam, tell us about the threat level of the Corvid conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into this week's threat level. <laughs> <laughs> Exposure imminent. <laughs> this week's threat level uh, sound should have been more like, hey, you know, <laughs> what's that over there? <laughs> the clacking of an abacus. <laughs> please, please stop that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because we are at a very safe green threat level. Is this All our right. first green threat level? I think the cats might have been green. Oh, mm. yeah. Maybe the cats were yellow. I think they were green. Maybe they were green yellow. All right. I'll look at the document real quick. I got right, it. Thank they you. are green, but this green is a shade. It's more like a olive green. The one we have here is like a hot green, like 90s neon green. That's yeah. true. The reason why they are so green, why they're so easy to stop, although they can be sneaky in the early game, as soon as they are one flip away from victory, it becomes very easy to stop them dead in their tracks, right? As soon as you're like, oh, wait, as soon as they take their turn, they're going to score four points and win the game. Let's just make sure they can't do that. And for those of you who aren't like as familiar with exactly how the crows work, right, is that they're always going to score points based on the uh, face up plot tokens on the top of their turn. Right. So anything they then turn face up gets points per face up token on the board. Right. They have to flip one in order to score for all the face up ones. Right. And that's also provided that they have a warrior in that clearing at that time. So you can pretty easily as their opponent do the math as to what's possible on their turn without even caring what is under those plots. You can just see them right there right. and in fact that is going to be i think the like main take-home point um of this podcast is is be diligent about making use of the information that you actually have like it is knowable if you are thinking about it mm -hmm. um and we are going to explore this in more detail in a little bit but the crows player is completely incentivized to make sure that you are com are like not focused on that, <laughs> that you are <laughs> focusing yes. on other threats, are not spending the time to count. That is basically the job of the Corvid player to keep the spotlight away. So how do we deny them having a, one of those plot tokens and a warrior to guard it? Yeah, the thing is, is if you take away just the warrior itself, then the plot token becomes a like an unflippable dead plot token. Basically, mm -hmm. um, I, I say here it's it's just a lone vulnerable crafting piece for the Corvids at that point. <laughs> yeah. like, they, they can't score by flipping it without a warrior there. And it's going to take their turn to move something into that clearing. So you've stalled them for a full turn just by removing the warrior. So what I say is if, if you can just spare one battle to make one plot undefended, like, that's enough. You don't even have to take out the plot at that point. Right. You just leave it. It's fine. Now, obviously, it's fun to take out for points and stuff like that, but the objective is accomplished by just preventing them from scoring. And there's always, you know, the risk of battling that might not go your way in terms of the dice roll is also added to the fact that they would have embedded agents, too. So further battles might be costly. on. Yeah, this is a good point. And this is kind of what, why I think of it as like a spare battle. Like, right. you know, if this is a really critical clearing for you and it's understaffed, you know, maybe you have to worry about uh, <laughs> embedded agents dealing that extra hit uh, on defense. No, you're right. You're right, though, Kyle. It, I'm sorry. I, I totally agree with you is that like at the very least, you just got to get rid of the warrior. Right. And then that plot is not getting flipped. Right. Yeah. If it's if you have one warrior in that clearing and so do they, then that extra hit doesn't even matter because they're probably yeah. taking it out that warrior anyway. And you've prevented the flip. So, yeah. Yeah. So you can deal with it by uh, a simple battle. And then there's other ways to remove plots on your turn as well that actually don't even involve battling. You can use the ability Exposure uh, to wager a face-down card um, revealed to the Cor Corvid's player. I have a card matching the clearing. You wager that card and guess what the plot is. If you're correct, they remove it. You score a point for removing cardboard. 
uh, and the corvids are squashed. <laughs> Notably, uh, you do have to have a card matching the clearing of that plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And during special teams, we'll get into more like timing elements with this, but those are the ingredients for Corvid scoring points, a warrior and a plot. So anything you can do to remove either of those elements from the equation, it's like they can't score points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And that's how to stop them from immediately scoring. Right. Like that's like the, stop them dead in the tracks. But they're also going to be trying to set themselves up for bigger turns. So another thing they might need is clearings that are out of the way where they can plot safely. Right. They want to, like Kyle said, they want to shine that spotlight away from them. So they'll take up those like parts of the woodland that nobody wants to be in and are happy to hang out with one or two warriors and a plot token there. But how do we deny them from doing that? Yeah. um, Well, there's there's kind of two main ways to directly do it. And then there's a couple of indirect ways as well that hopefully won't cost you too much of your action economy to deal with. That's really the goal with the Corvids, in my opinion, is like you want to be able to deal with them without spending too much of your action economy, like try and make it as efficient as possible. Um, So here's the direct ways to deal with the kind of positioning element here. You don't want to leave areas of the board like totally depopulated, if at all possible. In order to use exposure, you have to be present in a clearing with a face down plot. You just need a piece, like any piece. In that clearing. So if you're leaving a bunch of clearings like totally abandoned, uh, it's just easier for them to kind of slip in there and uh, do their nefarious um, conspiracies. So that's like the hard way is have tokens or pieces or whatever in, in a bunch of different clearings or position yourself centrally so you can easily reach those clearings. That's the hard way. The easy way is just to use table talk. Just just talk to everyone else at the table and let them know that it's a threat and then be like, well, you're over there. You deal with it. Yeah. Um, make it a group project because they are going to try and be difficult to reach. And if we're talking about trying to like come out the best of our opponents, right? Think about the other versus guides, right? The factions that need cards, lizards, moles, uh, badgers, those factions make them use exposure if they have to. The lizards, they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place where it's like, uh, battle, uh, or lose a card, uh, you know what I mean? (laughs) They they suck at dealing with the crows, but the moles, it's like, okay, use some of your many battle actions to deal with it or get rid of one of your cards, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and and for the lizards, even what I would say is like using a convert, uh, lizard conspiracy on a single Corvid warrior guarding a plot it's a super easy way yep. to just set them back a turn and there's no RNG involved. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Two birds with one pile of bones. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So positioning wise, definitely keep that in mind. If the Corvids are like going into your area and plotting, um, that's we- secretly kind of good for you. Cause that means you don't have to do as much to stop them. <laughs> yeah. They've already made it easy by putting themselves in your area. So yeah, definitely keep an eye out, though. If you're like the Badgers, for example, are are making your way across the map and leaving a bunch of like negative space behind you, the the Corvids love to just fill in a vacuum. And I think like, again, you know, we're underestimating the Crows' ability to win. But again, when we're talking about these versus guides, there's something about like, Bop Bop made a great point, which is if you take the Corvids out of the game, They're not going to leave this vacuum. They're not going to be this fighting force that you took out of the game that you're going to need later. However, they are a distraction that you might need to have had later, right? Like the idea that the Corvids need to be stopped, right? Great. Everyone's got to, if you think about like turn order and all that, making sure that other players are the ones that are having to deal with the Corvids could give you an opening to, to shoot for the end. Yeah, and if the turn order is favorable, like if you're right after the Corvids, for example, then right. you can do a little bit of can kicking. Yeah. Um, not so much that other people just let the game end. Like you don't want to be that egregious. But you can kick the can a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. There's also just the whole factor of like this is existing in the meta of that the Corvids are a green threat faction and therefore they shed heat pretty easily once yeah, dealt with. big time. So in a in a power vacuum, which we're going to talk about next, is just like that's where they can thrive. So it's not that, you know, you can take care of them, quote unquote, easily. But if no one takes care of them, they're the problem. True. 
And we've seen in the tournament that the Corvids do tend to thrive in in more kind of messy, chaotic endgame situations. That right. is the type of root game where a Corvids player can win. Mm-hmm. You know, the game has suddenly gone an extra two rounds for some reason. Yeah. And everyone's hard-pressed to, like, stop a dominance play or we're sort of, like, doing that thing where we're stretching to somehow meet all the obligations every turn and it's creating this warped board state. Right. Um, that is the environment where a Corvid player can really thrive. So yeah. be cautious about that for sure. Yeah, you're right. I was saying that like, oh, it could give you an opening, but you're right. Actually, if we've seen anything in the tournament games, those are the opportunities the Crows actually thrive in more mm-hmm. than other factions, maybe. I don't know. Well, it's just because that's where they have to thrive in, right? Like, that's kind of how you have to win as the Crows. I was kind of trying to go back to what we what advice we gave to people about playing as a Corvid conspiracy. And it's like, you have to talk other people into doing a bunch of stuff, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? which is true, right? Is the, the Corvids don't want to be noticed. They really just want to exist and hope nobody notices what's happening because they're so distracted by other thoughts and threats at the table. And that's why, even though they're a green faction, which is true, uh, they aren't going to stay a green faction. If you are only dealing with other people at the table and you're ignoring them. So talk about them actively do the arithmetic in uh, even like verbally do the arithmetic out loud on your turn and say, okay, Corvids can score for everybody. <laughs> like You can be open about it. You're right. It's like playing against the Corvids is, is kind of like being involved in an information war a little mm-hmm. bit. <laughs> so you have to be really like attuned to the um, kind of more ethereal parts of um, the, the game above the board thematically it hits home so well it's very fun (laughs) but yeah you have to be open in talking about their secrets because that's what they they want to remain secret they want to remain in the shadows they want you to not care about their extortion that's over there that you've ignored right the next need we've got here is not to be noticed and that's exactly hidden yeah in the shadows (laughs) um and i love jake i love what you wrote here the way we deny them being noticed is to point at the Corvid's player shouting, look, (laughs) well, yeah, it's just that you have to keep the table talk on them. If they're going to be a threat, you know, the other part of this whole like factoring in of like what a green versus faction would mean to us is also like, well, they're one of our three people at the table who we might need to leverage to stop someone else who's going to keep us from winning. The amount of times I've seen a Corvid's player pitch in to halt a dominance win it's, yeah. it's happened a lot. Like, because they're everywhere. Because they have the opportunity, generally speaking, to do it. They have three actions on their turn, and all those actions are very nimble. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they can move regardless of rule. That too, right? Makes it easy to do that. And they could recruit in a specific clearing and move in. Still, they don't have a high warrior count. Right. But I, I'm not denying that that's what we've seen in the winter tournament is dominance <laughs> plays being stopped by crows. Like, that's what we've seen. So but the th- but the thing to remember is like stopping them just stops their points. It doesn't stop necessarily always their presence at the table. So they can still be your ally and you can still hamstring them, which is cr- a crazy fact of this poor faction. Yeah. The fact that their main scoring mechanic is just out on the table for everyone to see. And has to stay out on the table for a full round. Yeah, that's the big one. And get all the way back to them. It's just like a miracle that they score any points at all. Well, so let's talk about that. It's like, that's what they want, right? Is they need to score points elsewhere. That's that's like their priorities because their plots are are easily disturbed in a lot of ways. Maybe not easily, but uh, if if the table works towards it, they can do it. They run out of the easy ones very fast. They're not going to let you flip to win. Yes. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they're distracted like every human can be. Hey, we we talked. (laughs) There was a whole episode before this episode about how the heat of the moment can change things but this is good <laughs> advice okay they're not people aren't gonna let the crows flip to win people aren't gonna make my mistakes <laughs> god you made that's... it so we didn't have to sam <laughs> exactly learn from me <laughs> <laughs> look upon me in despair <laughs> So to, Martyr getting, she root <laughs> <laughs> Very good So to deny them from getting points Outside of those plots is to like Don't let cardboard Be out there because as we talked about With their nimbleness and able to go from Clearing to clearing they'll probably go snatch It really easily 
The most recent Crows game that the four of us play, or the three of us played, was against our dear friend Nebuchadnezzar, who definitely did go soak up excess cardboard when he had the opportunity, and that's the right play to go for. Yeah, I think this is also a bit thematic as well, because I've seen uh, Corvid's players who are very attuned to like where the scraps are on the board, and they're like scavenging that cardboard after a big battle or something, which... Again, like, how thematic is that? Yeah. Like the crows yeah. visiting the battlefield and all that. But that is a major avenue for staying competitive, honestly, as as the Corvids. Like, you know, even if it's unlikely that you're going to be able to get, like, a magical flip to win scenario, like, that, that's pretty uncommon. You're going to need to supplement with a lot of cardboard, with a lot of crafting. And just putting yourself in a dangerous position, like, is a pretty big accomplishment for the Corvids. And it's what you have to do to try and win. Like, it's what they're going for. And the, the nimbleness really contributes to that. Their warrior movement is so fluid um, that they can easily find and soak that cardboard if, if it's around. Yeah, their ability to plot kind of where they want for the most part also gives them the crafting nimbleness as well. So they can find guac points that way. Well, and that's the thing is uh, they their crafting is telegraphed. Right. Like their mm -hmm. crafting yes, pieces have to exist a full round like the cats um, or whatever. But they tend to have a lot of plots out on the board. So they are able to craft. Is that something you're always you're always thinking about is their crafting opportunities with those plots so much as what's underneath those plots? I find like I rarely am caring too much about their plot or their craft potential. This is a blind spot for most right. for, for people who are playing against the Corvids. It is so easy to get caught up in wondering what is that plot like is it a snare <laughs> yeah. is it gonna wreck my game yeah and to lose sight of like okay what kind of clearing is it in like that's a crafting mm -hmm. piece yeah and to, to like remain aware of that yep um i on so i keep talking about this but it's still not done yet i literally i did more work on it this week um so i'm working on the slug fest game which featured the corvids i created this asset which is it shows you the conspiracies that are or the plots that are available in like a, a little window. And then I have another chart underneath that, which just says like the suits that each of the plots are in to like help keep track of crafting. So that's like just like two separate charts that I use to keep track of this thing. Um, what kind of plot is it and what kind of crafting piece is it? It's, it's important to just keep in mind, like, the Corvids aren't the best crafters in the world. They are pretty flexible. Yeah, yeah they're flexible, but they have to keep it out for a while, right? Yeah, it, it, they don't tend to be that well guarded if they're face up as well. So, mm. you know, it can be a bit of, it can be a bit just dicey to, to have that crafting piece out for forever. But be aware, you know, if they got two rabbit crafters out, maybe they're slightly more of a threat than they were before. You know, yeah. Keep keep your awareness. If it's close to an end game as well, like and if you're if you're choosing a plot to destroy, just remember that they're crafting pieces. Hundred percent. All right. Um. Yeah. And like we said, they're going to be crafting a lot of items. So the earlier you can craft the items that you can see, you know, if you're holding on to a T or a coins or something or a sword, and you see that the crows have the plots in those clearings to craft those cards. Maybe you think about not holding on to it. Maybe you think about mm -hmm. crafting it this turn before they craft it out from under you. Denial. Very important. Yeah. Um, last thing to mention is while we're getting down to brass tacks here, Nev was doing some calculations in his uh, like incredible screed on the Corvids here. Um, in a kind of like average seven turn root game, kind of pretty generic average turn length there if the table is collectively able to destroy four face down plots it is impossible for the corvettes to win on flipping so uh, there's like a bit of math that goes into this but essentially the main the big idea is that in a vacuum all you have to do in a normal game of root is destroy four face down plots but i'm gonna say like i don't think i've see too many games where four face down plots are destroyed that's a pretty heavy targeting of the corvids in that space um, yeah, anybody even uh, the only th faction i can think of that has four pieces removed in a game like that is like maybe the woodland alliance 
Mm. Like sympathy might come off the board that easy, but everything yes. else, it's like if you're like all you have to do to stop the cats is hit four sawmills, you'd be like, yeah, that'll do it. You know what I mean? Like that's sure. a lot. <laughs> yeah, and this whole like all you have to do to stop them is four idea comes from the fact that they can only plot so many times in a game, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. plot requires them to remove a warrior, which they're only also dropping so many of those in a game. Right. And then this is all placed on top of the fact that not only can they be removed through battle, but also the added idea of exposure. Exactly. So on average, Crows players are going to plot one or two times for the most part. Mm -hmm. Occasionally you'll see a a triple plot, but that is like some wild stuff. Right. Because plots, plots cost is cumulative, right? It's not just one warrior. If you already plotted once, it's two, etc. I don't think I've ever seen a triple plot. Yeah. Inadvisable. So yeah, with that kind of like scoring tempo in mind, it really doesn't take that much to throw the Corvitz player off. And uh, I believe it was Botby who made this observation as well about the the Corvitz being the faction that is most easily over-policed. Mm-hmm. I think that tends to be kind of true. And, you know, back to our, we, may, we said this is a threat level green. You want to make it as efficient as possible, um, stopping the Corvids. You don't want to throw in just a bunch of unnecessary battles and actions. Don't over-police them. Like, you need them around for the end game to help out, to be a distraction, to help stop somebody else. Like, it's good to not knock them out of the game completely. Yeah. With the understanding that you know now uh, how you can stop them on a dime. Yeah, even just, like, them being around to craft things that your other two more competitive opponents would be crafting is kind of helpful, right? Yeah. It's like those points are just going into a black hole. (laughs) (laughs) all right let's talk about some crafted improvements that might counter the corvid conspiracy yeah all right so base deck stuff i think brutal tactics is a a really really solid answer to the corvids right you want to bust through a defended piece of cardboard and you're giving a point to them but also you're taking away their points by taking away their cardboard so it's a pretty fair trade and they yeah. usually would have gotten way more points for flipping than they're yeah. getting from your one brutal tactics. That's that's the key here, right? It's like they weren't they were going to get more than one. So give it to them because you're going to get one, too. <laughs> yeah, and you're going to remove their problem. The idea is that you're using it against a, a clearing that has a plot token. Um, and in the case of getting a point for cardboard, I think it's always fine to brutal tactics. It's a point for a point. I'm not going to say always, but almost always. Yeah, it depends who you're that fighting. But like you, uh, no, but you're right. I know what you're saying. In 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 general, it's okay. But if if the points are, if we're in the 20s, everything needs to be considered. Right. Yeah. Um. Also, I want to say this, and probably partisans from the ENP deck are good for when you only get the warriors, and that plot token is still around. Because if you wanted to do a second battle, and that plot token is face down, now you're having to deal with embedded agents twice as opposed to once. So anything you can do to just like have a little extra control in a battle, like is this one I need to deal an extra hit is always, always handy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got scouting party down here. Scouting party. As an attacker in battle, you're not affected by ambush cards. You scamp. Wow. Yeah. That Did they change that, the text on that? Yeah. That one's got a little attitude. Oh wow. Um, yeah, this is good. Yeah. Crows might ambush you because they need to protect their plots we put this in here because you if you're gonna spend time dealing with the crows you don't want it to hurt yes this is all back to efficiency it's just making it as clean as possible you just want to have again if you just take out their warrior guarding the plot like that's plenty you just want to make sure that you're not reducing your own capacity to like Stay in the game. <laughs> you're already going to get hit by embedded agents. And so if if you're also getting ambushed on top of that, that's probably uh, devastating. Yeah. yeah. Your opponent rolled a three. Obviously, yeah. you can't know if they have an ambush, but it also they all you could also just expose, though. Like yeah. this isn't like the most important card because. You could also not battle. Also, you're not crafting this for the crows. Like, yeah, you're crafting yeah. it because it's a good card. Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, for sure. We for have sure. to fill this section, people. Stop. <laughs> I can hear you yes. typing. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> Why didn't he count at the beginning of his turn? <laughs> Two other people didn't count also. All right, here we go. Better Burrow Bank. <laughs> Sam, have you slept since that game? <laughs> I have, but I've had nightmares each time. All right. Better Burrow Bank, Jake. Hit us with it. At the start of Birdsong, you and another player draw a card. 
Sure. Yeah. Right? right? The more cards we all have, the easier it is to expose. It's true. And if you want to deny cards to everybody else, just give them to the Corvettes player because they're probably in last place. (laughs) I don't have a huge use for them, right? Like, I mean, we talked about their crafting nimbleness, but beyond that, they're going to use that that card to recruit and they can only do that once per turn. I will say, though, that they when you play Crows, you are like, dang. I want to exert every turn because three sure. actions totally sucks. Yeah. As a reminder, exert is they can skip their draw step of the evening to do an additional action. Yeah. Right. So they would get four daylight actions in that case, which is actually mm-hmm. great. Like that's a pretty sizable economy. Yeah, it's good. A fully online moles can beat it, but it's, oh, yeah. it's, you know, it's pretty good. Especially when you don't have to factor in rule when you're moving. Like four actions is decent. You want to do that every turn you can, right. but you won't be able to because there are times where you're like, I need to be able to recruit and mm-hmm. I need to craft this card. And those are both. I only have one card. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you do they need fill to up draw. quick. And yeah. plot is one of the actions that they usually do once or twice as well. They have to move. It's like there's yeah. not always enough time to like do everything you want to do. This is a fair point with exert, but I think overall we'd agree though, that giving them the cards is generally fine. They're only going to exert a few times in a game max, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you can always stop them later. So (laughs) literally you can give them points and cards till the, till the crows come home, but it's not going to matter. Unless you're me. Here we go. ENP. Let's hit it with it. So wait, hold on. I have, I have one last one for the base deck. That's stand and deliver. Yeah. I think stand and deliver, it's not crafted very often. You will almost never see it. But I think it's actually great in a game with the Corvids. Because you can just snatch a card from their hand and give them a point and it's usually fine. Yeah. That's going to hose them if it's their last one in terms of because recruits are crucial for them. Yeah. So that's that's actually, yeah, that's a great counter in a circumstance. Well, the thing I was thinking about was in order to use exposure you have to wager a card right and so it's nice to steal one from their hand and then wager it back to them and then you get the point everyone you just trade that card back and forth and each person gets a point it's a great exactly all is right in the universe awesome yeah that's a good shout Kyle all right for the exiles and partisans deck we've got propaganda bureau Jake Once, in daylight, may spend a card to remove an enemy warrior from a matching clearing and place a warrior there and close an independent news organization. Yeah, this one, except for that last part, is huge against Mm -hmm. the crows. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, just like don your press helmet. Like, it's so... It's kind of funny, though. Like, the whole idea behind exposure and sort of the crows wanting to stay in the shadows you know kind of like meta sense during the game it's so funny that propaganda bureau can like upend the whole thing like them <laughs> losing the information war that's true is it, <laughs> and it makes sense like the two things that really undo them are propaganda bureau and people going hey look at these guys you know what i mean that feels yeah. really thematic yeah yeah it's great i do think that propaganda bureau we talked about um the one of the best uses of it is when there's a lone corvid warrior with a plot and you're just able to convert that warrior away and now you don't even have to worry about flipping the problem is immediately solved you could expose from there and get a point or you could Mm -hmm. battle from there and get a point for removing it but you don't even have to it it really is is quite good against the crows yeah propaganda bureau can upend the corvid's entire game Mm -hmm. It's, it's a good card it's a really good. good it's a good. It's one. a really great card. All right, so I think we should talk about, and we haven't mentioned this card too often um, before on this podcast, but uh, a really, really good way to counteract the Corvids is to use um, false orders. Now I don't know this card, Jake. Can okay. you read us this card? Uh, false orders. Okay, this is interesting. Yeah, there's like a fox on it, standing on a cliff with his arms crossed. <laughs> Uh, uh, false orders in birdsong may discard this to move half of an enemy's warriors rounded up from any clearing if you were as if you were that player ignoring rule this seems really good well actually <laughs> it I, turns out this is a great card this yeah. is a great card it's a great card but why is it especially good against the crows because rounded up sam <laughs> stop it <laughs> Two reasons. One is that because the Corvid's communication network's notoriously shoddy, mm. so it's really easy to just like slip a message in there that's a fake, and they'll totally <laughs> fall for it. Number two is, one, rounded up 
is one. There it so is. So you can move one warrior out of a clearing with a plot token, and then they can't score. Which is like the most common amount of warriors near a plot clearing. <laughs> I, I agree, but I'm just like, are you really using false orders to move one crow? <laughs> Is that what no, you're advising no. people do? No, no, we're not. We're we're advising you to craft this card in any game, and guess yeah. what? You can use it to stop them. Of yep. course, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Anyway, if you didn't know about false orders, uh, listen to the past thirty-seven episodes of this podcast. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, this is this is the big daddy, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is also another card that feels like every game, but let's let's just get it right out in the open. No, this one this one matters for the crows. Coffin makers, Jake. Whenever any warriors would return to the supply, guess what? You place them on this card instead. At the start of Birdsong, oh boy, you score one point per five warriors right here. Then return all warriors here to their supplies. The reason Coffin Makers is so great is the Corvid Warriors return to the supply when they use the plot action. Yeah. And this means that you're going to be getting a steady stream of Corvid Warriors in your coffins every turn, which is always great. But even better on top of that, they hit their warrior cap pretty fast. So it can, depending on turn order a little bit, it can actually disrupt their ability to recruit on the following turn if they've given away too many of their warriors. If you go like right after the Corvids, for example, can, uh, or I guess right before them. Those poor bastards have 15 warriors to their name in this game. And one of their like action economies is spending warriors. It's kind of bananas. So Coffin Makers, you're going to... You're going to be in Money Town. Also, <laughs> uh, Recruit is a good shout. It disrupts that. But also, uh, they have these tokens called Raid Tokens, where they put a warrior from their supply on each of the adjacent clearings when a raid is removed. So if their warrior count is very low due to Coffin Makers, you can actually make those Raid Tokens even less um, effective. Oof. Brutal. Yeah. Also, uh, I'll just shout out Mouse Partisans, Rabbit Partisans, Fox Partisans. Uh, anything that allows you to do that extra hit could be really flexible in a battle if you decide you wanted to take out that plot token. Yeah, there's a lot of great options with cards there. But, uh, Sam, how do I know if I'm in trouble? Well, you might have a crow problem. If they can flip to 24-ish points. Oh, why this threshold? Uh, we talked about it in our How to Play Crow's Guide. At that point, you can kind of craft and battle your way across that last six-point finish line. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not in one turn. I mean, you could in one turn. That's possible. But even just letting them flip to that many points just kind of puts them in reach of of hanging on to a couple extra points and and being a threat to win the game 24 yeah 24 is, is a one turn possibility yeah for sure if the crafting's in the right place yeah, yeah they yeah, can yeah. scrape together some you know six points here and there yeah. for sure yeah so you don't want to let them flip to the mid 20s essentially right if they're at like 13 and they flip all the way to 24 for or if they're at 14 i guess and they flip to 24 for example mm -hmm. you really should have alarm bells going off. Mm -hmm. like that would be a scary flip anyway because like any 10 point swing is like scary but that is the magic zone they're like right on the boundary when they can do it right and like you know some factions it's like man they score six points this turn they're gonna score six points next turn this is really not the case with the crows really um they will have to put out another plot and at which case it's you'll like, see it yeah you'll see it and, <laughs> and three people will have full hands of cards and their whole turns to deal with it so um as long as they don't get to that mid-20s where they don't have to rely on flipping to get over the finish line you won't have a crow problem but you might have a crow problem <laughs> if there is a power vacuum right if the marquees and the molds have just slammed against each other and the eerie has turmoiled now there's an opening for the crows where other people's actions and cards have already been spent and the crows could take advantage. This is the biggest, like, threat, I think. This is when the crows can... This is what every crow player wants, is a yeah. vacuum that they can exist in. 
And I think it is actually more the circumstance that you lost in a way, Sam, is less that you didn't count, although that was a factor, is more of that you were so distracted with the other threat at the table, at your case was the moles, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that power vacuum was easily filled by somebody who could put plots everywhere and nobody was worried about them. If the players are distracted with each other, that's exactly what the crows want. We've already talked about how they don't want to be noticed. Well, if they're, if they're, you have no presence to stop them, then they're going to do what they want. And what they want is to win the game. Yeah, they really do feed on that like late game chaos energy. Just have your antenna up. If if you're going into like a crazy end game and you're really burning a lot of mental energy, like trying to solve, you know, one thread at the table, just really uh, and it's it's hard to practice this, but try and notice when you're being myopic about um, one like thread at the table in a, a like chaotic situation, because that is exactly the moment. That the Corvettes player can, like, set up a key swing turn or, like, pull off some kind of amazing cardboard crunch. That's a really good point, Kyle, of, like, if you're focused on one person and you're so hell-bent on stopping them from winning because maybe they're going to win and that's a valid concern. Well, if you're ignoring the fact that those two battles each resulted in you losing you know, five warriors, <laughs> then the, the crows are going to take advantage of that in the next yeah. turn. So watch your losses, because if no one out is if no one's out there to deal with them, they're going to go ahead and take advantage of it as quickly as they can. Yeah, I think that's why the crows love a dominance play from someone yes, else at the table. Very much. Yeah, because now it's like, oh, it's three V one and I'm one of the three. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that is that's what they need. They need everyone to exhaust their resources, taking their turns to focus on the one threat. And the Corvids can kind of skate by and 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 score some points. You might have a crow problem <laughs> if you are unable to count to five. Now, what do you mean by this? It's the opposite of a Gregorian chant. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what do you guys mean you're unable to count to five? Why Why does everyone say this to me? Yeah, it's it's the scaling property of, of Corvid scoring. So one, two, three, four plots flipping up at the same turn is going to get you 10 points. That fifth one is going to get you 15. Right. All you need to do is prevent that fifth one to keep them in a like reasonable range. I guess yeah. assuming that they don't have any points at that or, or a handful even right like unless they have 15 and they still have four face down plot tokens like i just don't think that's the real world i see your point sam like if i can only count to three am i still going to be good in a root game yes you're right but like if i can get up to four oh then i feel prepared but five then you can calculate almost anything that when it comes to plot feeling <laughs> i just i know that this is the meme can you count to five and i don't totally understand it I, I don't get hung up on the five the 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 advice is can you do the arithmetic to figure out what's going to happen at the top of their turn and the answer is yes you should be able to so do it do, do the basic math that it takes to figure out where they are at because they're the despite being the secret keepers as you said they're transparent we see where their where their points are next turn mm-hmm. and it could be fun to like be sherlock holmes and try and figure out like which plots are face up sure. and what's your like percentage chance of guessing whatever plot with exposure that's good but really really the primary kind of concern has to be the potential for point scoring i'm glad you brought up exposure because let's let's get right into that because it's somehow we've only barely talked about it in this yeah, whole episode this is which such is a like juicy topic and there's <laughs> so so many little like funny tricks and efficiencies to be found interacting with this mechanic um so this is a little like mechanic that's written at the very top of the player board and it's like a way to defuse the core of yeah. a conspiracy. Yeah. Is this the most like ragged on mechanic in the game? Do you think? I think infamy maybe is, uh, is more ragged on, but I think exposure is probably number two. Okay. By ragged on, yeah. you mean like they should change it? Yeah. Uh, Let me read it for everybody who's unfamiliar with the exact wording, because it is kind of specific. Anytime before drawing cards in their evening, which (laughs) already is a little confusing, right? What it means is anytime before drawing cards in your evening. Right. Yeah. So at any point during your turn, birdsong, daylight, evening, as long as you haven't drawn cards in evening yet. 
<laughs> Great. An enemy player in a clearing with a face down plot token may show you a matching card to guess the type of plot token. If correct, they remove the plot and ignore its effect. If incorrect, you say, quote, no, end quote, and they give you that card. This is obviously from the perspective of the Corvids, right? Yes. I love that you have to say no. You have <laughs> to say no. <laughs> We will accept nope as well. (laughs) So, right. The timing of exposure is the key thing that many beginners fail to remember. Or lack of timing, really. You can use exposure pretty much at any point. Yeah. Like, it is such a flexible timing window. Right. You just have to not draw cards in evening. So maybe even a faction like the Riverfolk Company, who can commit funds to draw cards in daylight can draw new cards to then expose you with. Right. Cause they're technically not drawing cards in evening. Right. There are factions that reveal cards during daylight. For example, the duchy uh, does this as well as uh, the lizard cult uh, very famously. And there's a step during evening where they return all of those cards to their hand. Uh, the, the major mistake that I see players make is at the very beginning of their turn as the lizards, for example, they will wager a card for exposure. And it's like, you don't have to. You can still do your whole turn. Use that card for its value. Do all the things you want to do. Let it roll over to evening. Get those cards back. And then use exposure. Uh-huh. Right? It's so forgiving. Especially so if forgiving. you're going to draw past your hand limit and have to discard anyway. So that's even right. like a triple benefit in some ways. Right. Yep. Yeah. And the whole thing that you're interacting with a matching card... You know, it it would it would really suck to hand over like an ambush, right? right? Like you don't want to give them something that's really valuable. Like a craftable card would be like horrible to give up. So don't give them that. Dom swap before you use exposure. As long <laughs> as you're in daylight and can actually dom swap. That's the most brutal part of this whole thing is that people can do that. I love this trick, and I think it is one of the strongest ways to just hose them with exposures. Like, here's another dominance card, buddy. Yeah, it's a free guess, and they're not getting any value out of it. Just to be clear, you can only swap out for dominance during daylight. So make sure that you've got that timing proper. Is it once per turn? During daylight, you can take an available dominance card into your hand by spending a card of a matching suit. Cannot treat an available bird dominance card as a non-bird right, suit. Right. Feels like you could do that any amount of times. Yeah, you can. Yeah. You could dom you swap could take your all whole four. hand. Yeah. You could dom swap four times, as long as it's in daylight. But you can't do one multiple times? I guess you could if it got discarded. Right. Yeah, if it got as, discarded. As right. long as it was made available. Right. Yeah, so clutter up their hand with the dominance card. And I, I wanted to point out that uh, a, a previous iteration of the Corvid Conspiracy actually had this mechanic where they would clutter up uh, their opponent's hands with their kind of little nefarious... I think it was uh, their agent cards. Their agent cards. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so it was just this mechanic that meant that like everyone's hands were a little bit worse. That's cool. It wasn't. It, it was interesting. It was kind of a slog. I think that was like... The, yeah, the it f- slows down the flow of the game a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cool from a Corvid con- standpoint i guess definitely I think it's yeah a really interesting idea but mm-hmm. like if have you ever had a hand of cards in root and you're like man only five yes imagine having three yeah, or no, two that's a fair and point. you're like oh and i remember like to discard them you had to give them points or something Ooh, it, it like yeah. sucked that it was really brutal. bad I mean, really it was bad. a cool, cool idea for a design. I just meant it, it, it felt bad to like. Yeah, the implementation um, of it made the game kind of unbearable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Really interesting concept. Yeah, it's like attacking somebody's economy, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like mm-hmm. attacking the card advantage. It's like we didn't even know this was a pressure point that we could impact. <laughs> like it's really cool. Um, but yeah, but now we're kind of doing it to the Corvids in a like, you know, just desserts kind of way. Like you can clog up their hand with dominance cards. This is so brutal. Like, yeah. I don't know why we're teaching people this. Like <laughs> These poor guys. You don't have to kick them. But, you know, if you want to stop them, you should know all the excruciating ways that, that you know how. Yeah, this is, this is, I guess, a lot of this is for the circumstances where somehow they took advantage of all those circumstances to get there. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. And yeah. they were like, okay, get them. Yeah, this is how to check, not should you check. Yeah, sure. Fair. Should fair, you fair, fair, fair. will be how the game plays out. 
Right. The other big way to check them beyond exposures, obviously, to, and we kind of have covered it already, which is just to remove the Corvid warriors from the clearings with the plots. Yeah, yeah. that'll prevent the flip. You could also take out the tokens. I mean, that'll set hey, them back too. Yeah. And another little bit of efficiency. If you're committed to battling a face down plot token anyway, and like you're like, I'm going in there, I'm battling it. Like nothing that you can say is going to change my mind. You might as well ex- use exposure and guess that it's a raid. Right. Because Raid is the one plot where if you take it out in battle, it's actually going to reinforce the crows. It actually places uh, a crow warrior in each adjacent clearing. Sort of like a little mini recruit action. They kind of like, you know, scatter into the surrounding clearings. Uh, And just to prevent that mechanic, you can just exposure for a raid. And then if that's what it is. It'll disappear. Because Raid doesn't trigger when exposed, right? Correct. Yeah, it just goes back. It doesn't... It goes back to the supply. It doesn't uh, activate. And I think one thing we didn't really mention with exposure is, like, there's only four options. Yeah. And (laughs) you can... If you see one of those options on the board, you know, it's... There's only two of each option. (laughs) Right, right. You can can get a little, like, Sherlock Holmesy about it, for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. You can be like, okay, there's two extortions out. So, like, now there's only three options. Right. You can also kind of deduce from where they placed it what would be their optimal plot to put there. Not that a Crows player will always play optimally. You're still rolling the dice a little bit, but you can kind of do some guessing based on that context as well. I've seen Crow players go full random. Yes, and I think that's actually kind of fun to do. Yeah, yeah, just like where they're like, I don't even know what plot that is. I don't think I'll ever do it, but... Yeah, where <laughs> like, you pretty- can't read me because I can't read me. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is just a black box. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm like, I'm not even gonna get gonna get too far into the mind games. Yeah. If I'm playing against the Corvids, because I'm like, that's just energy I don't have to spend. You do have other, you have better things to do with your time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, count the plots, move on. <laughs> yeah. Is this the turn where we stop them? No. Okay. Is it a bomb? No. Then I don't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess. Yeah. Be sensitive to bomb insurance. Bomb insurance. We we're we're not talking about getting snare locked on this episode. Uh, we'll we kind of talked about that in the playing as the crows guide, and we'll probably uh have an edge case episode where we will definitely talk about the snare locks, especially now that we know badgers can also yeah, be badgers, snare locked. <laughs> we talked about it already, but they are another victim of snare lock. It's not it's quite phenomenal. as bad, but they can be completely shut out of the game with a snare. That so. sounds quite as bad. Uh, well, you don't lose points yeah, at the same time. That's true. That's true. But being shut out of the game is just not winning, too. Right. Exactly. You're right. It's equal. Almost equally bad one with uh, the warlord as well. Oh, really? If it's a lone warlord in a clearing with a snare. Mm. Oh, right. Because they can't be placed or leave. Yeah. So you have to go you rescue can't him. recruit any new people to your warlord, which is one of the main sources of recruits. You can't build any strongholds. And you can't leave. Well, you can <laughs> you can't get it. out of there. I guess you could try and battle it down by yourself. If it's just a lone warlord, though, yeah. I guess that's that would be the way to escape. Yeah, if there's embedded, if there's one corvid guarding it, though, you're kind of screwed. Yeah, that would be the only way out, though, is you have to like deliberately get your warlord to perish in battle. Right. Yeah. So it's just a one turn. You're not totally locked. Right, but then you have to suffer the comeback mechanic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, get back if you just got your warlord on the board. It's always going to be tough. You know yeah, what I mean? True. Yeah, true. So snare can be tough, but uh, you, you just don't face it that often. I feel like there's not that many situations that it's going to really, really destroy your game. All right. It's time for whistle. Three points. Special teams. Dun-dun, dun-dun. <laughs> uh, the only special teams I could think of here is uh, the ad set otter bomb. Ooh, okay. This is so. This is such a good one. So, explaining this is that Adset is a, a is our advanced setup, which has changed uh, like corner clearings to homeland clearings, right? And right. otters don't have one. Otters do not. Right now, the the thing with advanced setup is you cannot set up in another player's homeland clearing. And a lot of the cards will specify you can't set up like two clearings away from another person's homeland if possible. However. The otters don't have a homeland. They just got four otters on the river. So this means if the otters are chosen first or or before the crows player chooses their faction as the crows, and therefore the crows will be 
taking the first turn, they could set up in the same clearing as those four otters, and then with their starting plot, choose a bomb, and on their first turn, flip that bomb to destroy the opening four otters on the board. What a way to start a game. Oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> I think if you're the other two players, you are so happy that that just <laughs> happened. You know what I mean? Because now you get to buy from the otters and the crows don't even have a plot on the board. Like, it's great, you know? Oh, yeah. I think this is definitely bad for crows to do, but it's so funny. Yeah, it's kind of you just kind of have to do it, at least for the first few months this expansion is out you know what i mean like let's enjoy it while we can before it's like it's actually not something you should do you know like it's fun for now the fact that the plot doesn't persist is a huge setback right yeah. it's and especially when they're already hamstrung by just having to have some out there that's why bombs kind of suck <laughs> ah, bombs are hard yeah, yeah they they're scary but for the Corvids, they just don't stack very well. Well, the thing is, is the only time they'll be super effective is when a time when everybody knows they're there because you see <laughs> yeah. what they're about to do. Oh, wait, I wonder what that plot on my bunch of cardboard is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, OK, well, we're not going there. I think I think I also like you can suspect a bomb just by it being placed in an empty clearing. You're like, oh, sure. But you're not mm -hmm. revealing it. Yeah. You want me to build there, don't you? <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Yeah, and then it's true. six turns later, it turns out, yeah, it was a bomb. The obvious clearings are probably bombs. And the <laughs> clearings that aren't obvious at all, those are bombs, too. <laughs> it's They're always bombs. a bomb. Yeah. Anything else on special teams? I mean, we kind of talked about the sweet move of Dom swapping before guessing, which yeah. I think is a great choice. And uh, guessing a raid before battling a face down plot yep. is, I think, super specific, but is pretty special. If you're really worried about the crows coming back on the board, then I, I think that's the right move. But I mean, I feel like the warlords raise uh, the mob tokens are a double edged sword, right? Because they're easy things for the crows to pick off. But if protected by the hundreds can just slice through the plots without having to even take your time to go battle them and worry about exposure or uh, embedded agents. True. And whereas with like the, with an Alliance having those mobs is a way to like kind of keep their engine turning a little bit mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. for the Corvids, they like to have those plots out on the board. You know, they don't like them getting removed for free for no reason. Right. I could see a world though, where wouldn't they just trick their face down raid to that clearing? So then they can get four more crows on the board. Yeah, that that's super valid. Like I said, I think it's a little unpredictable, but it does speed things up a little bit. Yeah, I think the crows are happy to have those raised tokens on the board more than it's definitely free cardboard. I yeah. think that's way more valuable for the cardboard than for um, the like fancy raid maneuver. Yeah, it's the thing is, is like you want to be able to flip the raid face up for points, right? Yeah, the extra crows are fine, but. Yeah, usually you want to pocket the yeah. points. Yeah, because you're going to get the crows if it gets hit anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, again, it kind of depends a little bit, but I, I tend to think that the points are worth, yeah. <laughs> worth more in the long run. All right, folks. Well, in conclusion, the crows need you to be distracted, whether that's above the table or actually distracted by the other two players, like factions at the table. But barring that, you will be able to stop them. But take this from me. All right? Hear my voice when I say this. Don't get too comfortable. All right? We say they're a threat level green, and that is true. All these things are true. But see back to last episode. All the things that you take for granted could be the things that are working against you if you're not paying attention. The conspiracy will not be televised. <laughs> I want to give a big special thanks to shouts to Neva Kineza. Neva Kineza gave us quite the document. If you are wondering about how just how weak the Crow faction is, <laughs> Nev has a huge uh, a document with all of the things you can do to hurt the Crows. Um, I got on a call with Nev uh, when we did our How to Play Crows episode our crow's guide and he had a wealth of knowledge he is the crow guy 
Walrus Law has been getting a lot of headlines with the way he's been playing the Crows and the, the games that have unfolded as a result, but Navikaneza is still the Crow Encyclopedia, so uh, <laughs> please hit him up for any of those lingering questions you might not have. Yeah, and additional shouts to uh, everybody participating in the conversation over on the Good Time Society Discord on the Woodland War Machine channel. Um, special shouts out to Nitro Rev, PJ Darker, Bot Bot, Garrick Samples, AA Ron, Luke Germ Curry, and many more. You guys are the lifeblood of this podcast, and we appreciate all your input always. Yeah, and if you want to be like them, join the Discord. That's the Good Time Society Discord. Give yourself the Woodland War Machine role. Become an official Wimmy. And if you're so inclined, uh, please join the Patreon where you can support all of the wonderful shows on Good Time Society. I see that Two Player Tuesday is back, Jake. Yeah, it's inconsistent because we're so busy on Tuesdays right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did a pre-taped one. We're doing it uh, again. So come on and join us on Tuesdays for Sweet Games at Noon on Noon PT on Becca's Twitch. You guys ever going to do uh, chess on two-player Tuesday? You, you ever know, heard of that game? We've we've talked about chess because Becca's become a little bit of a chess head in the past couple of years, and so have Ooh. I. But I really want to get you in there and teaching us the ropes. Well, actually, get just me in there. cleaning our clocks, I imagine. Are we playing with clocks? Uh, I mean, if you're going to cite one of the 300-page rule books about it, no. <laughs> okay, but if it's an analog clock, then it has to be inspected. <laughs> I'm not big into chess, but if you two are going to play, well, then I will be on the sidelines holding up a sign that says...